Bible, if you would please take it with me. And let's say our Bible decree together. And I'm grateful that I do have the Word of God that is very near and dear to my heart as well as yours. So let's just claim it together. This is my Bible, God's Holy Word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. If you have your Bible, if you would, please turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Today we're going to be talking about struggling with guilt and shame. A topic that has been brought to my attention over the last probably month more than any time in this history of pastoring. But I also believe that many of us probably can, as we're sitting here today and and remembering and reflecting, there's probably a time in our life that we've had to deal with guilt and shame. Have you ever been sitting or driving somewhere when all of a sudden you remember something you did or said that you shouldn't have? Or maybe it was someone or something you thought about that would bring shame if anyone ever knew. And this overwhelming feeling of guilt comes flooding over you and all you feel like is turning into a hermit and going somewhere far, far away, which is more safe and comfortable for you. And this is exactly what the enemy of our souls, Satan, desires most because he's the one who is manipulating the situation. The Bible says in John 8, 44, but there is one thing that we need to know about Satan and that he is a murderer a liar, and the father of all lies. But it's just as true that while he is our accuser, he really doesn't have to reach very far to find something to accuse us of. And that's because we all stand guilty before God. In the scriptures, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 323, That is, we all fall short of God's holy and righteous standards for life. Amen? The Bible also says there's none righteous, no, not one. Notice that it says all have sinned, and there is none that are righteous, none that are good. This is a universal, which means that everyone has his sense of feeling guilty. In other words, an everyday emotion. It is an everyday common emotion, but when it goes unresolved, it can do great harm. So church, I ask that you do it today, you resolve it today. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you would, please also turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author 
the originator and finisher, which would mean the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you go back to verse 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. There's no sentencing to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ was already sentenced. The shame and guilt of this world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's no more, any longer, nowhere, any condemnation. Because stripe after stripe after stripe after stripe, Jesus Christ bore that for us and was sentenced for us. And praise God, we are free because He was condemned. Hallelujah. That is what He's saying here. There's no longer any condemnation. Guilt and shame are deadly and can do great damage not only to us, but also to those that are around us. Would you all agree with me? Guilt makes us hesitant to embrace life to its fullest by causing us to avoid people, especially if we believe we've done them harm or that we've done them wrong. And in Ravenna or in Edinburgh, where I grew up, One thing was for certain, that if you had guilt or shame in your life, that meant that you go shopping in the middle of the night because in a small town you can't go to the grocery store without running into someone you know or that knows your situation. It's troubling. Yet while I use these words guilt and shame together today, There is a difference between the two, and if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to understand what is the difference between the two. And and often, while I'm counseling, I'm dealing with past hurts, pains, hang-ups. If you've gone through addictions, if you've gone through any habit or hang-up, you realize that there's been some guilt that you've been dealing with that continues to keep rising up within your spirit. And then you feel a sense of shame. Look at my life. Look what I've done. I'm embarrassed. But you see, I started off the service by saying our enemy is the accuser and he is here to mess you up. Mess you up in your mind. Mess you up in your heart. He is here to accuse you. But church, let us remember what the scripture says. There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it great to walk in the Spirit? Isn't it great to walk in Christ Jesus? And if you've just been practicing your religion, how about today you start practicing your relationship? And realize what the Holy Scriptures have to say, that you no longer have to live like you used to, or feel the pain of your past. I just wanted to start off today by saying, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. For as by one man sin entered into the world, so death was passed upon all men for that of all sin. Romans 5.12 
And yet in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us. And yet while we were sinners, Jesus died for us because he was sentenced, condemned, died and rose again. And he is free and we are victorious because of the life that Jesus lived. We don't practice it. We don't understand it. And so what is guilt? What is shame? And I'm going to be going through some of those, but listen, guilt stems from a failure on our part to meet certain standards of behavior. Guilt stems from a failure on our part to meet certain standards of behavior. Now watch, second of all, shame, on the other hand, is personal. It's a failure to meet our own standards. Guilt is about what we've done, while shame is about who we are. Interesting, isn't it? Guilt is about what we've done, while shame is about who we are. And the weight of guilt and shame is often quite heavy. Oftentimes too heavy for us to bear, and it stops us from living the life God has purposed for us. Oh, look at him. Look at her. Look at what they've done. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. I started off the message today by saying, there's none righteous. There's none good. There's no one that's good. No, not one. And so we put ourselves in that same type of category. And once we come to realize who we are and what we've done, then we realize the importance of Jesus in our life. And I'm not going to get ahead of myself today because I'm going to be pointing out a couple, couple areas. But listen, church. Guilt literally, guilt literally eats away at our time. And it makes it difficult to concentrate and think straight. Guilt will eat at our time and it's difficult to concentrate and think straight. Negatively affecting our productivity, not to mention... Our creativity. <sighs> That's so bad. I should have never done that. You lose sleep. You toss. You turn. You pace the floor. Because of all of this guilt. All of this shame that you've been feeling. But church, there's good news. And there's good news this morning. God has a prescription for dealing with guilt and shame. And there is a way we can have our record swept clean. There's a way our guilt can be erased. And the good news is, it's what we know is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet before we can look at how the gospel can help with our guilt and shame, it's instructive that we look at exactly what guilt is and the two types of guilt that exist. So what is guilt? The word guilt comes from the root word, an old English language meaning crime. Guilt is the painful emotion people experience when they believe their actions, whether real or imagined, and have violated a moral or personal standard. Sometimes it goes back to our early childhood, believing that someone we didn't live up to our parents' expectations and, and live with this perpetual feeling, feeling of guilt. It's terrible when our parents put all this expectation on us and we can't feel a sense of freedom and victory because of the shame and guilt they put on us. And guilt also rears its ugly head when we believe we've harmed others through our actions 
and our inactions. Guilt and shame have been linked to some really messed up emotions. It brings about obsessive compulsive disorders or a mental disease where people need to continually check things and repeatedly perform rituals. And guilt and shame are also associated with various anxiety disorders as well as increased risk of suicide. It's real, church. It's real, Christian. That guilt and shame, it paralyzes us. They hold us in bondage. And until we learn how to deal with them, which we'll learn in our section here on healing from guilt, we'll never break guilt's change and open the prison doors to freedom. Our lies, our addictions, our fornication, our adultery, and the list goes on, will keep us in bondage until we realize that we're free, that we're no longer under condemnation. So there are types of guilt. So to properly heal from guilt, we need to distinguish between genuine or positive guilt. There's also false or negative guilt. We also have to learn how to properly respond to the type of guilt we're experiencing. Number one, negative guilt. At the root of negative guilt is the false idea that God will never forgive us. It's the belief that our sin is far too great. Basically, it's a failure to believe God's word and the forgiveness he offers through his son, Jesus Christ. We need to understand what the Bible says about God. In Numbers 23, it says that he is not like you and I are. That he doesn't lie. Instead, God keeps his word and there's nothing we can do to change that reality. If God has said it, then he will do it. Say that with me. If God has said it, he will do it. Amen. He keeps his promises. And what God says about his forgiveness is that once he forgives, it's forgiven and will never be brought up again. Woo! Wow! Remember that, church. Isn't that amazing? It will never be brought up again. You know what he says in Psalms 103? Psalms 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Forgiveness is instant. The promise of God is clear. He will forgive us and cleanse us. All we need to do, church, is ask. If you've asked God's forgiveness and are trusting in Christ, then any guilt you experience is not from God. He wants us to be free. Perhaps this morning we need to learn to forgive ourselves. We need to learn to forgive ourselves. There was a story of a priest who was in the Philippines. He was a much-loved man of God who carried the burden of a secret sin he had committed many years before. He had repented but still had no peace, no sense of God's forgiveness. In his parish was a woman who deeply loved God and who claimed to have visions in which she spoke with Christ and with her. The priest, however, was skeptical. 
to test her, he said, the next time you speak with Christ, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed while he was in seminary. The woman agreed. A few days later, the priest asked, well, did Christ visit you in your dreams? Yes, he did, she replied. And did you ask him what sin I committed while I was in seminary? Yes. Well, what did he say? He said, I don't remember what God forgives, God forgets. Interesting, huh? So what are some of the negative forms of guilt? One, survival. Guilt. What are some of the negative forms of guilt? Survivor. Guilt. This is guilt that comes when we find ourselves doing better than somebody else. Now think about this today when I, when I give you some of these and, and highlight them. Veterans who outlive their fellow comrades often experience this. Survivor guilt also occurs when people lose families, friends, neighbors, and disasters while they remain untouched or at least alive. Survivor guilt is also produced when people make a better life for themselves than their family and even their friends. The guilt causes us to spend more money than we want or more than what we can afford in an attempt to feel better about ourselves. Two temptations. Temptations, church, are not a sin. Temptations aren't a sin. But the Bible says Jesus was tempted, but without sin. But if we, can t- if we connect temptation to sin, then that would nullify Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Watch. Because the writer in Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest, in Hebrews 4.15, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all ways, in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Temptations are not sin. And therefore, there is nothing to be guilty about when we are tempted. Temptations are not the act of doing something. It's thinking about it without doing it. Listen, temptations are not the act of doing something. It's thinking about it without doing it. You follow me? And while this can cause positive guilt that will help us stop the temptation before it turns into a sin, it shouldn't bring on guilt. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says here in verse 13, Therefore has no temptation overtaken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to bear it. Interesting, isn't it? So we see here that temptations are not sin. Temptations are not the act of doing something. It's thinking about it without doing it. And I want you to know our Savior will make a way when you feel there is no way. Number three, vain imaginations. Vain imaginations in this case are those things someone thinks they did. Vain imaginations can place almost as much guilt upon us as if we actually committed the act. That stinking 
thinking. Such vain imaginations are useless and serve no real purpose except to make us feel guilty for no good reason. To counter these vain imaginations, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, cast them down, bring them into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Demolish, destroy anything and all things that are against God. Pull them down. Cast them away. Get them away from you. That stinking thinking will mess up our imaginations. And often, if you allow it to take residence in your mind, then it's going to take precedence in your life. Pull them down and throw them away. Cast them away. Next, guilty conscience. A guilty conscience usually stems from thinking that we didn't do enough. A guilty conscience are the what-ifs that accompany our relationship with other people, especially when something goes wrong. Do you hear what I'm saying? A guilty conscience are the what-ifs that accompany our relationship with others, especially when something goes wrong. We all deal with guilt since we've been little. We deal with this guilty conscience that will control us if we don't throw all of that away. For example, your desire is to see someone who may be sick or ill, but other things come up preventing this from occurring. And then that person dies or something terrible happens and we feel guilty as a result. It is also a tactic used by people who try to guilt someone into doing something, like parents to children, especially when they're grown and moved out of the house. They'll say things, haven't seen you in a while. It's been a month since I've seen you. Are you the prodigal? Those are things that parents will do to us, and then you start feeling this sense of guilt in your life. This is negative or false guilt, and it really isn't a good motivation tool. Let me play something out for you. And this, this is a true story. I almost brought it up to the men. They're, they're studying on the armor bearer. And I just feel like God keeps pulling me this because this is true life and this is what happens. Many years ago, there was a young teenage girl who was a part of our church. And she had been in, in, into the hospital and was dealing with uh, some suicidal thoughts, so on and so forth. And this individual, when she went in, the parents kept it quiet for three days. Well, on the third day, they decided to call me, and I was preparing for our Valentine's banquet, such as much like this time of the year. And as I was preparing for the banquet, I got this phone call. I stopped what I was doing, and I'm sure probably didn't make the couple that we were with that was part of our church feel that important because I said, excuse me, can I take this phone call? As I proceeded to say to the individual, I am at dinner. They said, we need you right now, Pastor. Our daughter has tried to commit suicide. My heart started breaking. And I thought, when did this happen? We need you right now. And I said, well, okay, where are you at? What's going on? So on and so forth. And I said, but I'm with this couple. I'm already in camp. We're going to go down here, buy the supplies for the Valentine's banquet. I've had this scheduled. I will be there as soon as how is your child? What's go- Oh, doing fine. Well... 
an hour went by, but just to let you guys know as well, I was on the phone hearing the story for at least 45 minutes. Now my, my dinner was cold. Because you see, if I didn't take the phone call, I'm made to feel guilt and shame. And if I don't stop what I'm doing right then when somebody calls, I'm made to feel guilty and ashamed. Well, the, the story continues. On the way back, I called, I called, I called. They wouldn't pick up the phone. The comment was this. You didn't make time for us as soon as I called you. I said, how long has your child been in the hospital? Three days. And you just now called me? And you're trying to make me feel guilty for not being there when you called? The last thing I remember, I'm not owned by anybody. I can do the best I can do, but I'm not going to put myself in your court to be sentenced to be condemned, we can only do what we can do. And unfortunately, it didn't end there. Because then, it went from this family member to that family member to this pastor doesn't care for us. He didn't drop everything he was doing and book it right to the hospital. And as I was doing this message and I was feeling this sense of guilt, I remembered this story and I'll never forget just how brutal and mean this family was. And church, I'm here to tell you that it went on for one week. They said, we don't need you at the hospital. But as soon as they came into my office to have a meeting, and I was bringing this up, I was going to give a little story to the men this morning, because they both held positions in the church. When I looked at him and said, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? The comment was, it's so easy for you, isn't it, just to say, I'm sorry. Stripe! After stripe, after stripe, after a spear in his side and the crown of thorns on his head. Jesus said, therefore is no condemnation for those that walk in Christ. The last time I checked, I'm not perfect and is in anybody else. And neither are you. Be careful how we show grace and mercy and forgiveness. I told Becky, so I started going through the scriptures because for days and weeks I started feeling shame and guilt. And I don't have to because as I was looking in the Word, it didn't say, if you're a pastor, you are at the disposal of everybody and anybody. No, it says there in Timothy and Titus that I'm to preach the Word that I'm supposed to be clear in the scriptures, pray for the people, and feed God's children. We have to be careful how we allow that guilt 
to control us. And so this side of my head started going gray because I allowed what somebody else had to say about me determine my outcome. And then I realized that I don't have to live like that. That there's no condemnation. I don't have to be at every person's disposal. I can do what I can do, and that's all I can do. And that's sometimes the difficult part. Next, positive guilt. Watch this. Now, even saying that guilt is somehow positive is many wandering. Or many wondering. Not wandering. Wondering. (laughs) Hey, I even typed this stuff out, you know. What is positive guilt? Positive guilt is when we intentionally violate God's word and will for our lives. It's when we knowingly commit a sin, and it's this knowing by, and it's this, knowing violation that brings about a sense of guilt. Positive guilt also comes when we know what is the right thing to do, but refuse or neglect to do it. And I love what the Apostle James has to say in his word in chapter 4, verse 17 of James. He says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, or does not do it, to him it is sin. But watch how the Holy Spirit starts to intervene. Positive guilt is God's way of telling us that we fall short of his standard. And agreeing with God that his standard is the right way to free us from what? From guilt. We've done something wrong. This may involve harm to others, causing physical or emotional pain. We may have also violated our own ethical or moral codes, such as cheating, lying, or stealing. This also involves guilt over our own behavior, where we swore we'd never do it again. Many people will say, I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. I won't do this. And so the positive guilt there is saying, I failed myself and my covenant or my commitment to God. In these cases, such feelings are normal and healthy, and they should behoove us to take the necessary action to bring about our own healing. This is why it's called positive guilt. So I just want to overcome this and heal from the guilt of our lives. Healing from guilt. Modern psychology wants to neuter guilt by untying it from any moral or ethical foundation. Watch this. Unfortunately, this has only added to the problem as people now feel overwhelmed by guilt, but haven't got a clue as to why they feel the way they do. Carl Menninger, the famous psychiatrist, once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out of the hospital the next day day. Isn't that amazing? The reason why is because God has placed eternity in everybody's hearts, in all of our hearts. That is, he placed within each person a conscience that has its foundation in God and his moral ethics. Whether people believe in God or not, it's still there. And the Apostle Paul says, I like it. I really do believe he says it best in Romans chapter 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these all, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, 
their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. He is saying here that everyone has a conscience and that conscience is linked to God's law, to his word. In the end, modern psychology has no clear path by which it can help alleviate a person's guilt. That is, not without mind-numbing drugs. You see, there is a right and a wrong way to deal with guilt. Trying to hide it or pretend it isn't real because it's inconvenient doesn't work. The Bible says those who try to cover up their sins and thus the guilt and shame that accompany sin will not prosper. You can't cover it up. You've got to express it. And so, God has a prescription for dealing with and healing guilt. One, stand before God. Stand before God. In Psalm 69, it says, while he, we can hide our guilt from others, we cannot hide it from God. He knows the wrong that we've done. When I consider the first step, the story of Joshua, the high priest, comes to mind. Here in Zechariah chapter 3, here he is standing before the Lord God, clothed in filthy garments that represent his sin. And standing next to him is Satan accusing him. The guilt and shame must have been overwhelming much as it was with Isaiah who stood before the Lord with the same type of guilt. And here's what he's saying. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And Joshua, here, here it is again, the accuser, Satan, and Zechariah, God rebukes him and takes away Joshua's iniquity by putting clean garments upon him from his head to his feet. And the Lord did the same for Isaiah. Having an angel take a coal from off the altar, touching Isaiah's lips, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. We must take our guilt and we must take our shame directly to the Lord. Who alone has the power to remove it? And this is what the gospel is all about. Even John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's make this personal. And did you hear what the word had to say? But when we fail to confess, then we'll suffer much like King David who experienced great physical suffering. In Psalms it said, David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. After we stand before the Lord confessing our sin, which produced this guilt within us, next we need to follow God's prescription and receive His forgiveness. So important. No matter what you've done, there's no condemnation. Receive God's forgiveness. God made a way for us to be relieved and healed from guilt. And that way is through the forgiveness that Jesus Christ provides. God knows that, that everyone has done wrong, that everyone has fallen short of his holy 
and righteous standards. You heard me say that in Romans 3.23. He also understands the right things we do that creates guilt. But God has made a way for us to find forgiveness and hope. And it comes through his son. It comes through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus paid our debt so that we can be forgiven and released from the guilt that it causes. But if we continue to cover our sins through excuses and rationalizations, then we'll never be free from guilt's prison. What it takes on our part is confession. What it takes on our part is confession. That is calling it like it is, calling it the same thing God calls it. And when we do, God's mercy and grace will be ours. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. The problem, however, comes when we try to shortcut God's forgiveness by mistakenly thinking we have to forgive ourselves. Here's the truth. However, we can't ever forgive ourselves. The power to forgive ourselves doesn't lie within us. Further, there is no place in God's word where it states, that we can forgive our sins. And Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So here it is, church. To be blunt, if we think we can forgive ourselves, what we're doing is making ourselves into our own gods. Because only God has the power to forgive sins. Trying to forgive ourselves, therefore, only leads to more guilt rather than relieving us from guilt. Guilt can only be relieved when we believe and receive God's forgiveness. That is, if guilt still persists. It's not because we haven't forgiven ourselves. It's because we have failed to truly accept God's forgiveness. If there's anything that I could help you to feel free, more freedom and victory, is to let you know that God will forgive you. Don't live under the curse of another person. They will hold you in bondage. And I'm going to say this in conclusion. It's impossible to entirely eliminate guilt. When it helps us make good choices... We really wouldn't want it any other way. Further, learning to evaluate and challenge negative guilt helps free us to live longer, healthier, happier, and more fulfilling lives. When guilt comes, therefore, we need to check our relationship with God and see if there's any sin in our lives so that with God's help we can confess it and eliminate the guilt. In Psalms chapter 139, It reads, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of life everlasting. Having a relationship with Jesus doesn't make us perfect. Because we still sin. However... Being a believer frees us from condemnation 
of a guilty conscience. You see, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we're faced with feelings of guilt, we need to stand before the Lord and receive His forgiveness. And just as important, receive His acceptance, knowing that we have now been made righteous through Jesus Christ. Guilt and shame. Along with condemnation that comes with them, do not have to be the last word in our lives. Instead, let's renew our minds, realizing that we have a great and merciful God who desires is for us to live in freedom, which includes freedom from guilt and shame. I was sitting down here earlier and my thought was much like this. Men's class was going on. Ron's doing a great job and the guys are reading scripture. And I pictured myself doing something. And it kind of like just took me away for just a minute. But many of us, maybe you've been to this place where you've looked back over your past and you come to grips with your past. You can never live up to the standards of dad, mom, the boss, the individual, the mentor. You can never live up to that husband or that wife. You can never live up to the expectations of other people. But church, when you're struggling with that guilt and shame, you can live up to the expectations of our Savior Jesus Christ. As I was sitting there, I pictured myself just kneeling at this altar and saying, God, forgive me. I've been struggling with this guilt and this shame. And I'm sorry I've let people and standards in my past. I accept this sentence that you have before me. Forgive me. And it was at that moment that even this morning that I realized that Jesus Christ because of His love for mankind, He endured the cross, bearing my sin. You need to let it go and let God free you. We have holes, gaps, and voids because people have said to me, I'm angry because God took my loved one. Then after you feel this sort of emotion then shame starts to overcome you. And now you start taking on this, why did I ever feel this way? But if you come to the foot of the cross, there's enough forgiveness for your past, for your pain, for your hang-up, for your addiction. And enough from your sin. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven 
and I will heal you. There's a silence in the room. And a lean, bold gentleman stands up and bellows, Oh, rise! The people in the room stand as strong, stately man dressed in a black robe enters the room and instructs, Be seated. He reviews some papers in front of him and looks toward you with a pointed stare. Turning to the stoically dressed man who is standing beside you, he asks, How does your client plead? Not guilty, is the reply. Moments pass as the judge ruffles through the papers in front of him. At last he looks at you, encourages you to stand, and with a thundering voice he proclaims, Guilty! The room grows even more silent, and the harrowing sound of the words from this man ricochet in your mind. Guilty! 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 Finally, you come face to face with yourself and you admit, yes, I did it. And now all that remains is the payment, the sentencing for your crime. You begin to wonder, will it be the minimum or will it be the extreme? You wait with fearful anticipation. As the judge begins to speak, you scratch your head in disbelief. Could this be true? Could it be true? Did the judge just say, sentence is paid in full? And so you walk out of the room and ask to be handcuffed and taken to jail. I know what many of you are thinking this morning. I know what many of you are thinking at this point. Why would this man... Or anyone desire to be incarcerated after he or she has been set free. But church, I say to you this morning, why would you continue to walk in the bondage of guilt once you have repented and been set free by God? Let's stand as we pray. Father, we come before you today Lord, asking that you'll forgive us from our guilt, from our shame. And if we as a church will just grab a hold of your mercy and your grace. There's many in this room that people continue to hold one another captive in chains. But God, today, for those that you have spoke to their hearts, I ask that they would come for ask for forgiveness, cry out, pull down those high imaginations, those thoughts, those temptations, and bring them captive to you, Lord Jesus. You said in your word, if we shall confess our sins, that you are faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I come to you today and I ask, that you will stir within the hearts of your people. Convicting them that they can kneel at the foot of the cross, throw their hands up, and accept the sentence of forgiveness that you so lovingly and graciously went to the cross for humanity. So, God, we cry out to you. 
Let go of our shame. Let go of our guilt. And Lord, help us to be accepted in your sight and not in man's. Bless your people. Bless your church. And if you've received it this morning, all God's people said, Amen.